if somebody says no, ask why, right? Because that is the first sort of step to understanding what you need to do in order to get a yes. Welcome back to the Pocket Money cast. I'm one of your hosts, Mark Toronto. And I'm Sally. I love that cast. Yeah, you know. <laughs> Just uh, just starting things fresh, you know, <laughs> new abbreviations. Hip new slang. <laughs> <laughs> Getting on the kids level. <laughs> so today we're talking all about pay negotiations. And I think uh, you and I both know that talking about money is often a really uncomfortable topic to bring up. But avoiding these awkward conversations could be setting our careers back. And unfortunately, it's especially true for women. So when looking at full-time employment in Australia, women still to this day earn over 14% less than men. And this is a trend that is evident all around the world and uh, across industries too. And according to the Australian government's Workplace Gender Equality Agency, one of the many, many contributing factors uh, perpetuating this gap is discrimination and bias when making pay decisions. Yeah, that's right. And there's conflicting information out there. So while some research says that women don't ask for pay rises as regularly as men, others say that women ask for pay rises as often as men do, but are less likely to do so with success. And we know that us gals (laughs) are more than capable of moving ahead in the workplace. So what can we do to understand and I guess communicate our worth so that we can be the girl bosses we were destined to be? Yes. So in today's episode, we'll be tackling all these topics. We're chatting with Claire Haddon and Greta Thomas from the Don't Stop Us Now podcast to discuss exactly how you can determine your worth and negotiate your pay regardless of your gender or where you are in your career. These two Wonder Women run the leadership development business Full Potential Labs with the mission statement of helping advance women in their lives and careers. All right, Sally, you ready? Let's do the damn thing. So welcome, Claire and Greta. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, great to be here. Of course. And we gave you guys a little bit of an intro, but can you tell us a bit about your experience, uh, how you guys met, and then also how you got the podcast started? I was an executive for a long time. Uh, I was at Google, my last corporate gig at Google in a leadership role in Australia, looking after Australia, New Zealand, and sometimes Asia Pacific. About five years ago, I set up my own company and co-founded it with Greta, which is called Full Potential Labs. And we do uh, what we call next-gen leadership development programs with uh, companies all around the world, um, particularly tech companies. I also sit on the board of an education technology company that's listed on the stock exchange and I am the chair of what's called the Remuneration and Nominations Committee, which sounds really, really dull, but it's actually it's actually pretty interesting because it is all about sort of setting the performance culture and the incentives that go through an organisation. So that's a bit about me. All right, so my turn. My background is pretty varied, actually. As you heard when we were talking before we got started properly, I actually started as a TV and radio reporter a long time ago, but then went into advertising and did an MBA and worked for McKinsey and Company, the management consultancy. I then worked for a number of startups, including launching eBay in Australia, which tells you just how old I am for anyone (laughs) who wants to Google when that launched. 
And uh, I uh, have worked offshore overseas for a couple of years for a startup Bono uh, launch too, which was pretty incredible. Took me to Africa a lot. Have done a lot of consulting. As Claire said, we've co-founded our leadership development business and I also have a board role. So that's a little bit about me. And then, of course, together as well as the leadership business, we launched uh, almost a year ago now a podcast called Don't Stop Us Now, which is all about helping women in particular reach their full potential. Yeah, and it's it's pretty exciting because we get to meet really fascinating people from all around the world. Um, and we interview uh, amazing women who are... Uh, innovators, pioneers and original thinkers about their career journeys and the challenges that they faced, uh, which is, is such a privilege for us and, and a, a, great, a great experience. Wow. Yeah, I can imagine between Google and Bono, you both probably have a lot of uh, negotiating experience mm. up your sleeves. And that's all about uh, what we're talking about today. So I guess especially in the context of the gender pay gap and everything that's still happening there, why do you think it's so important to talk about pay negotiation, have these conversations? Well, I think one of the key reasons is because, as we all know, you know, there is inequality between typically what men are paid and what women are paid. And the stats vary depending on whether you include, you know, bonuses and super. But let's say it's between about 14 and 20 percent difference, typically based on country differences as well. And the fact that you've got this inequality and that plays out down the track to having people uh, when it comes to retirement really feeling the effects and the most endangered group for poverty is retired elderly women, single women. So it's important that we all think about money though, because I'm, I don't know about you, but I'm all for fairness and equity and I want to be paid the same as somebody else doing the same thing. So that would be one of, I think, my key reason why it's about equity. So according to the research, I think there's a few conflicting opinions or, or, you know, pieces of data out there saying that women don't ask for pay rises as as regularly as men. And then there's also uh, the argument that they do, but they're just less likely to be as successful, you know, when asking for these negotiations as men. So... Why do you think that this is and what can we do to improve, I guess? So I've spent quite a few years looking at the data and the research because about, I don't know, six years ago, I had one of the big banks create a financial literacy program aimed at women. What I think has happened is that the most recent research out of the States is showing or they're being told that women are asking for pay rises as frequently. So I think there might be a generational shift happening. However, my own anecdotal experience out and about and with the programs we run and the the women I meet is that I would definitely say women still tend to ask less and that there is a much greater likelihood that women think, well, I will get rewarded if I do the work and the results flow through. I don't need to ask. It'll get recognised. And the fact is that is not the case. Yeah, and I think the other thing is that, you know, in terms of promotion, women do tend to get promoted less. And interestingly, men tend to get promoted on potential and women get promoted on past performance. That's a major issue if you're trying to see women go up through organisations and get that sort of equality. Moving more generally to the issue of negotiating pay, uh, because this is such an important topic for anyone really, uh, when is the right time to start negotiations for pay? One of the most important times is in transitions. So whether that's when you're starting a new job or whether you've just got a promotion or even when you're just moving across, you know, into a different function, that is a perfect time 
to really request a pay rise. Um, I'll give you an example. Actually, when I got the job at Google, I was really actually quite fortunate in the sense that I had another job offer. And I used that other job offer to negotiate Google up. So that's a perfect, perfect time. The other thing I think to think about is that often it's not the moment. You know, there isn't one specific moment. It's all about putting a bit of a strategy together, you know, because it does often take time. And it's not easy for a manager to just immediately get you a pay rise. So I think it's important to flag that, you know, you think you are providing great value and therefore you'd like to be paid more. But then sort of think about, okay, so when should I flag that? Maybe that is sort of a couple of months before your next performance appraisal. Do it in a one-on-one. And then know that maybe you might not get that pay rise in that performance appraisal. It might take another six months because it does take a bit of time. So I think it's about thinking about transition points, thinking about putting in some kind of strategy and knowing that you need to be a bit patient sometimes to get that elusive pay rise. And you mentioned um, starting a job is a great time to increase salary. And I'm curious, like, do you think that the biggest salary increases come from uh, a new job or from a negotiation at an existing job? Yeah, that's a really interesting one. I think it depends. But my anecdotal experience is actually, if you want a really substantial pay increase, often you have to leave. Um, One of our podcast guests, actually, our our latest episode, Katie Vanek-Smith, she's had a really long career in news and she's now an entrepreneur. She told us about this amazing story where she literally left the Times to go to the Telegraph. This is in the UK. And she doubled her salary by going to the Telegraph. Wow. Right. And then three years later, she went back to the Times and doubled it again. (laughs) Now that. (laughs) <laughs> that is, you know, that's that, awesome. that is really awesome. And she's a gutsy woman. She is a gutsy woman. But as she said, you know, she wouldn't have necessarily asked for a pay increase when she was at the Times. It was the experience of actually being able to move outside and, and have the guts then to ask for a pay increase that gave her the guts to then ask on the way back in. Yeah. What about people who are maybe earlier on in their careers? Because obviously, if you have a lot of experience and you can kind of leverage that, if you're really starting off and you don't really know what to expect, you don't know what your peers or your colleagues are making, how do you think you can prepare for that and still still go in being strong and on a good foot? Well, I think that um, one of our other guests, Claire, just talked about Katie Vanek-Smith, but an earlier guest, Margarita Hadothia, she's a Latin American CEO of a conglomerate of companies. But she said when she offers people of any age a job, if it's a man, he will inevitably say, oh, it's a bit lower than I was expecting. Can I have another 5,000 or whatever the number might be? And she said that her experience is that a woman will almost never do that. And it comes back to that data that we were talking about earlier where certainly the older research shows that out of university, the men are much more likely to negotiate their very first pay offer and their first job, whereas women are just so grateful to have the job and they don't want to rock the boat, you know, and make people think that they're difficult. And I think we have to, as women, have to get that, oh, I'll be difficult if I ask and try to negotiate. The way to, I think that really helps to reframe this is to imagine that you're already an employee of that company and the company had asked you to negotiate purchasing, you know, the year's worth of stationery, just to be you know, a silly example. They want you to be a good negotiator for them. So you can earn respect if you can negotiate in a reasonable way, even if it's the early job with a little experience behind you, just saying, oh, that was a little lower than 
than I was expecting and then leave it up to them and see what happens next, you know. So there are ways you can do it and reframe it with that respect point of view. And I think in terms of, you know, knowing what to ask for, there is quite a lot of research out there. You you can get online and Google this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. The other thing you can do is if you know anyone within the company, you know, you can go and have a coffee with them and just try and find out sort of how their grades work, for example, and what, what pay grades are. The other thing is, you know, see if you can find somebody who's got experience to give you some advice. How would they do it? You know, I think that's really important, actually asking somebody for advice before you go in and, you know, negotiate your pay is is a good thing to do. That is so true. I've got a great story if you want to hear it. Definitely, yeah. So I was once, I was at McKinsey and um, got poached or offered, you know, sort of approached by one of our clients to, you know, would I be interested in taking on a, a role there? I had no idea what that role should be paid, but a friend of mine worked for a headhunter, you know, recruiting company. So I rang him and he said, hmm, well, Greta, that CEO, he's just fresh off the plane from America. So he's probably got an appetite for higher salaries potentially than Australian CEOs. He obviously wants you because he's been working alongside you. And anyway, he gave me the number that was three times what I was currently earning. So one is get advice and then the two is practice. I could not say that number initially without giggling and kind of twitching (laughs) nervously. So I literally practiced saying that number in the bathroom mirror with a deadpan face and not blushing and not smiling or looking apologetic. And I I did it. So I I went through and then I'll never know what happened though, because that company then had a hostile takeover bid and all hiring got frozen. Oh, wow. Yeah. So interesting story though. You touched on before, Claire, um, the different methods you can use to research what is industry standard. Are there any others that people can use to sort of figure out how much they should be getting paid? There's things like Glassdoor, for example, you can get salary there. There's actually, there's a few sort of bits of information going around the web, isn't there? Yeah, quite virally right now. There's a site called Ask a Manager. Now, the data is skewed to the US, but people have gone in and voluntarily sort of anonymously listed their job title and their salary, and it has taken off. That's an interesting example, but I haven't gone through painstakingly to see how many Australian examples there are. The other thing I'd encourage women to do is to try and have conversations with their female friends and their male friends in particular about money. Because from what I hear, Mike, you can answer this to the affirmative or not. Guys talk about money much more naturally and easily than we women do as friends. Yeah, definitely. Uh, amongst my friends, there's always money being talked about Yeah, for pretty freely. Yeah. Because that's how you learn also, mm. you know, what some benchmarks are. You can even do, you know, go out for dinner and sort of say, okay, so once a month, with your girlfriends, we're actually going to talk about money. We're going to force ourselves to talk about this because I think sometimes you have to sort of put it out on the table for it to start to feel normal. And then every month you'll get used to it then and it'll become a habit. And I think that's such a good point to normalize it because I know that even in my experience previously, I'd be like, guess what, guys? Like I got a promotion and then they'd be like, oh, cool. Like how much? And I'd be like, oh, by X percentage, I'd be really wary about saying exactly how much just because I was like, is it showboaty? Is it rude? Or, you know, will they look down on it? But yeah, just to talk about it in a really candid way is probably like a good place to start. 
And because I think that even Mark and I are colleagues, obviously we work together, but I feel like there's not that much salary transparency. Mm. And, uh, you know, I don't walk in every day being like, so Mark, how much money do you make? <laughs> <laughs> but maybe I should. Yeah, maybe so you I'm should. Lay it on the table, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> He's getting hot. Let's <laughs> hope there's no gender pay here. <laughs> but it is true. Salary transparency does not seem like it's a thing. Why do you think that is? Well, some companies have gone radically transparent and then others have not. And I think, especially for those, you know, if you think about sometimes the messy way companies can end up because they've acquired others, companies. And so all those different companies had different pay scales and grades to start with. So then you meld everybody together and they find that everyone's on a slightly different grade at, at that point. And then it would cost too much potentially to even it all out in one hit. And so then it you've got this kind of inheritance of a weird pay system. So that can be one reason why companies don't encourage transparency because it costs them. You know, we're seeing more companies standardising, more companies being open. Yeah, I think the other concern from, you know, if I put my remuneration and nominations cap on, um, is that, you know, it can become quite divisive. It starts to get down to, okay, so what's the value I bring and what's the value you bring? And it could become quite combative. It does depend on the culture within a particular organisation as well. We're halfway through the podcast now. It's uh, time for our rapid fire questions. This is is a bit scary. (laughs) (laughs) Sally, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, sure. So we'll we'll go in with a bit of an an easy one. Ease into the hardball. (laughs) (laughs) Who would you put on the next $20 note and why? Why do you think that's easy? (laughs) (laughs) So hard. I mean, yours isn't RuPaul. (laughs) (laughs) I think it has to be a woman. I don't believe that they all have to be dead, which seems to be the the case apart from the queen. (laughs) You know, so my pick for this is a woman you probably haven't heard of called Elizabeth Blackburn. And she is Australia's only female Nobel laureate prize winner. And she won it for science. And she basically found these things called telomeres, which have got a really big link to cancer and other sort of really sort of uh, chronic diseases in humans. And also telomeres are helping with aging, which, you know, I think as we get older, you know, the more we can understand about aging and turning it back, then the better. So she should be on the $20 note. That's an awesome response. I'd like to counter that if I may. (laughs) May. (laughs) I've got two, so that shows I'm maybe a bit indecisive. I think someone like Truganini, who is an Indigenous woman who was believed to be the last surviving Tasmanian Indigenous woman. And, of course, basically there was genocide in Tasmania. So I think that would be a very healthy reminder. And then the other one that I think is uh, a real contender is Rosie Batty, because there's such an issue with domestic violence in Australia. And, you know, to have a reminder about that and just to be thinking about that is not a bad thing either. Those are all excellent. Uh, I don't know how we're going to choose. I know. <laughs> we're deciding. That's what, yeah, we can, we can put it over the yeah. uh, 10, 20 and 50. Yeah, yes. And then we can share the spot on the $5. Okay, yeah. Right, uh, cool. That's agreed. <laughs> okay, um, so we'll start. This is a, a bit of a co-host question. So Greta, we'll start with you. What's something about Claire that people would be surprised to learn? Let me see. Well, she has travelled to a crazy number of countries and she was also known as the Angel of Jakarta. Yeah, there you are. There's a story in itself. Put that on your resume. (laughs) (laughs) There's probably a big story behind that. So we'll definitely have to touch on that later. So uh, Claire, what about Greta? What's something that people might not know? 
So I think one thing that's quite surprising about Greta is that she was actually a professional ballet dancer until she was 24 years old. Wow. wow. Yeah, and uh, she had the leading ballet dancer role in the first ever uh, version of Cats, the the show. Wow. So, yeah, which I think How is fabulous. pretty, it's pretty <laughs> amazing, isn't it? Yeah. That's awesome. I feel so... Uh, Unaccomplished. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what's the biggest mistake that you've made in a job interview? I think for me, I've just sometimes, I've forgotten the questions and I just kept on talking. And then, you know, you could hear the uncertainty into my, in my voice creep up and get my voice get higher and less confident as I went along. This is really bad, but I actually got the interview time wrong. So <laughs> <laughs> I turned up at the wrong time. That's pretty bad. Was it early at least? No. Oh. <laughs> okay, that's yeah. not my, that's not, not my <laughs> mode of operation. <laughs> I know, at least then you could have jumped in and been like, oh, well, see, I'm really prepared. Yeah, no. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. You're four hours early. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, you're an hour late. <laughs> uh, what is the most overrated career advice that you hear? Everyone says follow your passion. I reckon when you're in the very early part of your career, if you want to sort of future-proof your career, passion does count, but I actually think things like brand count as well. So the organisation or the type of company that you might choose to work with can count for a lot. And also the practical side of just being ready to learn from people and accept that maybe you're not going to have the job of your dreams in the first few years, but treat it as a great learning opportunity and as sort of building up track records and potentially, you know, brands that are respected on your CV, all with that end goal of following your passion. Absolutely. But I don't think you should expect it from day one necessarily. So I think mine is, uh, this isn't necessarily something that people give advice on but I think it's something that seems to be an expectation and that is that you should go for promotion in my experience first of all there's limited number of opportunities for promotion within an organization but secondly actually getting promoted is not always the best thing often it's about really getting interesting and challenging experiences so that you can I'm working on amazing projects and things like that I think are much more beneficial for you in your future than necessarily getting a promotion per mm. se yeah so like skilling up rather mm. than a promotion for the sake Absolutely. of promotion yeah, yeah. well that's uh, the end of our rapid fire round Phew. that was awesome you guys did great <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> So we've spoken quite a bit about a few of the strategies that you can use, but I think if we could wrap it up in a neat little package, <laughs> what would you say that the three to five things that you need to prepare when you're going into either a job interview or just a pay negotiation in general? Do your homework. So do your research. Let's say it's a job negotiation specifically with your current employer then have a list of what you've achieved. Make it quantitative. Some research says women can get penalised when you negotiate. So talk about how the team has achieved this under your leadership, if that's relevant, or talk about your contribution to the team, but sort of sometimes have that collective noun. But I think it's all about the preparation, seek advice, and then practice as part of that advice seeking. You know, say, how does this sound? And, you know, make sure that you flag the intent so that you don't 
suddenly take your manager by surprise and pin them in the corridor with, you know, I want to ask for a pay rise. You know, you might say, I would love to discuss my salary with you, given we've got performance reviews in a couple of months' times. So, you know, give them some warning as well. But research, advice, practice, and uh, flag intent, if relevant. Yeah, I think they're all brilliant points. And I think that the last point I would add is just have a level of patience. If you ask today and you don't get it tomorrow, don't throw your toys in the corner, work on a strategy. If you're not getting it within six to 12 months, then do something about it, but have some patience. And are there any common misconceptions about negotiating that you feel need to be corrected, are mistakes or hidden traps to avoid, things like that? I think the hidden traps are one, expecting it to happen, as I've said, two, not having done your research. Because if you haven't done your research, you don't know what you should be asking for. I think the third one is actually be specific about what you are asking for. It may well be that what's most important to you is base pay. But it could be that if you think about it and you get into the shoes of your manager and the company, it may be that it's easier for them to give you equity or maybe an additional couple of days of leave. Or it could be that you want to go and study. Think about those things as well as just your base salary. The other thing I'd jump in and add here, because we haven't really touched on it at all, is you also have to be realistic about where the company is at. And if the company has just announced a 48% drop in profits and announced that they'll be making a round of redundancies, then you have to take those circumstances into account. And clearly that is not the good time to be then approaching your manager for a pay rise and negotiating. And so thinking about the context as part of that research and preparation, because these things don't happen in isolation. And if you can show that you've put yourself in your manager's shoes and what they have to take into account to give you a a pay rise, because they're juggling all kinds of requests and demands, so that will help and go a long way too. It's good to think about that big picture as well, because a lot of the time you're just thinking about your position in the company and everything that you've brought. If that is the case uh, and you know that, or maybe that's the response that you've gotten in a negotiation that may be talking about, yeah, some of those maybe equity points or even, well, I want to pick up this responsibility or I would like to get this training. Like those could be good compromises that might even prepare you for your next opportunity to ask for a pay rise or to move ahead. Definitely. Definitely. And asking your manager, you know, what's your advice? You know, because I've got this goal to get to X amount of dollars within the next two years, say, what would be your advice on how I could get there? Yeah. And then see what they say, because they might say, well, actually, I know there's a vacancy coming up in the X department that's a couple of grades higher. It would be also be really great experience for you technically. Why don't you think about that? You know, you never know what they might say, but sometimes asking for advice is... Uh, quite useful. Yeah, that actually reminds me of a story. I was coaching an executive, a tech company, and she literally did that. You know, she went to her boss and said, look, this is what my expectation is in two years time. This is the kind of salary I want. And this is why she wanted to go back to the US and she wanted to buy a house. And and then she said, what would be the best route for me from where I am today to get to that point with her boss? And it turned out to be just a brilliant conversation. And they've worked together actually over the last six months. And she literally, she just got promoted actually, which is amazing. But it's now a journey. And he said, look, I can help you. I can work on equity here. You know, I can't go this much on your salary, but I can 
do this and this is what I need to see from you in terms of your progression. That was a really interesting way of doing it and uh, very successful. Because we have to remember our managers are not mind readers. They don't know what we're thinking or feeling unless we tell them. Yeah, and that's especially important if the stats do say that women especially think that if they do their job, they'll be rewarded. But it's not always the case. Sometimes you do have to beat on your chest a little bit and be like, I am so great. (laughs) (laughs) Guess what? (laughs) Yeah, but there are nice ways of doing that. You know, Mm. you don't have to be, you you don't have to brag and and be that person you don't want to be. You can do things like, I don't know, write white papers or share the great results of a whole team rather than just yourself. There are many different ways of getting that kind of visibility and, you know, as you say, banging, banging <laughs> on your chest, but in a, in, a, in a nice way. And a lot of the tips out there are catered to people who are working full-time jobs in offices. What about those that are working freelance? Are there any considerations or trade-offs there? Look, I think uh, having been in those shoes, you know, the hardest thing is to work out what to charge it's very difficult to get benchmarks and you, you might have a client you'd love to work with and the last thing you want to do is scare them away with a, a high quoted fee or hourly rate or whatever. But I think you just have to be brave and if you believe you've got evidence that says you're worth X, then you should stick to your guns. The same applies in these this case, obviously, to ask around, seek advice, Google, try and find comparative rates where possible so you know if you're in the ballpark. Actually, I met with somebody yesterday and I thought she had a really clever strategy. She runs her own business and she also has to partner with people. And so she was basically asking people what you charge. It wasn't a pretense. It was, you know, real. But because, you know, she might want to bring you in. But she had the spreadsheet. So she got what everybody charges, daily rates. And now she knows where she sits. I I thought that was just really clever. I was like, God damn, why didn't... Yeah. (laughs) When I think of that. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah, especially if we aren't being so transparent Mm. about how much we get paid. The other thing about being freelance is, again, talk to people who you, you really respect within the industry. I had a scenario where... I was working with somebody who was more experienced than me. This is on from a coaching perspective. And he had been a CEO and he was, you know, really... Ugh. And I said, oh, this is what I'm charging. What do you think? And he said, double it. And I was like, I can't double it. Like, how can I go from one year to the next and double it? He said, because that's how much value you bring. So just do it. So I thought, okay. So what have I got to lose? So I thought, well, I can just lose the client. So I did double it. The actual coaching thing didn't happen. But six months later, they came back to me and I gave them the same price and they just accepted it. A doubled price. So I think, you know, just believe in the value that you bring and don't be afraid to really um, ask for what you're worth. And what if they say no in all these kind of pay negotiations? What is the strategy Uh, And how do you know when you should move on from that opportunity or keep plugging away? Well, some of that comes down to what what your priorities are. You know, if they say no to the money and you feel like it's a dead end in that role from that point of view and the money is very important to you versus the experience and the people that you're working with and the actual type of organization and job you're doing, well, then clearly it's time to leave. It might be that the company's going through hard times and you want to wait and see what happens in the next financial year or, you know, there's there's so many different aspects there. But 
it's really important here to just remind ourselves that money is not the be all and end all and money does not buy happiness. So don't let money be your only factor when you make decisions because that is probably a recipe to end up in an unhappy position. Yeah, and I think the other thing is if somebody says no, ask why, right? Because that is the first sort of step to understanding what you need to do in order to get a yes. You know, a no is actually, it's not a bad thing because you can get some more information. Just ask, you know, find out, do what they need and ask again. That's great. Yeah, yeah I've actually used that strategy before. I mean, like, okay, well, we have time. Let's sit down. What a X number of things that I can do by the next review. What do I need to do? And then check back with them regularly saying, has this changed? Do I need to do anything else? And it works. It's so easy to be deterred when they say no. You're just like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) But it's a game, isn't it? Really what happens is when you get a no, you are one no closer to a yes. You know, whether it's with that organisation or another one. And you learn. And Claire's absolutely right. And that was great that you had that experience, Sally. That's awesome. Yes. (laughs) Tried and true. (laughs) So I think for our final question, we just want to ask what is, if you have to have one, one strategy or even phrase, something that every person needs, regardless of gender or where you are in your career, in your pay negotiation arsenal, what would it be? Mine would be not to the person you're negotiating with, but to somebody else who you respect. Ask them for advice as part of your prep. Yeah, and mine would be make sure that you are really aware of the value that you bring by writing it down, being clear about what you've achieved, you know, what value you've brought to the company and be honest about that. Maybe keep that in a a weekly, monthly journal so that you've got something to build on. So it's building research about yourself. And then, of course, we've also talked about research in the market and understanding the situation so it's all about prep yeah it's all about prep get (laughs) get organized be strategic yeah (laughs) well thank you so much claire and greta for your time uh we've really enjoyed it and we've learned a lot Mm -hmm. and i hope our listeners have too thank you thanks for having talking to you and if people want more information or want to listen to don't stop us now where should they go well we have a website www.dontstopusnow.co Our podcast is on all of the popular podcasting platforms. That's the easy place to go. Greta and I both on LinkedIn. Of course, Don't Stop Us Now has got an Instagram, Don't Stop Us Now podcast. Absolutely. We're all over social media. So it's pretty easy to find us. Just Google it. Just Google it. Exactly. (laughs) And we'll obviously put all those links in our show notes page as well. Fantastic. Thank you. Great. Thanks so much, ladies. Pleasure. Thank you. So, Mark, are you ready to storm into our CEO's office demanding a pay rise? Yes, I'm going to get my research together. I'm going to uh, create a bulletproof case for why I should be paid a million dollars per year. And promptly get fired. Yes, I'll let you, I'll let you know, or will I? <laughs> I just come in and they're like, okay, Sally show now. <laughs> God help us all. <laughs> May God have mercy on our soul. No, that was awesome. I think... Going into it so often, I at least, you know, you don't want to come across greedy when you're trying to negotiate your pay or you think that you're worth so much, of course, and then you don't want to go in and then have that shot down. (laughs) 
That's right. But um, what I liked about our conversation today was how we touched on the fact that a no is the first step towards a yes. And I think we kind of need to be less afraid of a no. But yeah, thanks for listening, everybody. Hope you uh, took some valuable lessons from this podcast. Yeah, hopefully there's promotions and pay rises for all. Yeah. Uh, Please cut Sally and I into at least 5% of that (laughs) because we got you them. Uh, but as always, follow us on Instagram. Apparently, there's some really cool stuff that we're going to be posting on there. It's not just going to be photos of me awkwardly <laughs> looking at money. Behind the scenes. Get it while it's hot. Yes. <laughs> uh, and as always, subscribe to the podcast if you enjoy it. You can follow us on Spotify mm-hmm. uh, if that tickles your pickle. <laughs> and feel free to leave a review, share with a friend. And as always, we'll chuck our show notes at finder.com.au slash podcast so you can get all of the, the juicy research. The juicy research <laughs> and the juicy goss. <laughs> <laughs> Always. All about the goss. And Sally, don't think I didn't hear your Simpsons references uh, in the podcast today. It's a little Easter egg. <laughs> yeah, we always have to, you know, sprinkle them in. <laughs> well, yeah, that's it for us. Um, I hope we wrapped up this episode in a neat little package. <laughs> uh, until next time. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Pocket Money from Finder. Head over to finder.com.au slash podcast for the show notes for this episode. The Finder podcast is intended to provide you with tips, tools, and strategies that will help you make better decisions. Although we're licensed and authorized, we don't provide financial advice. So please consider your own situation or get advice before making any decisions based on anything in our show. Thanks for listening. tummy crumbling. Mine is also (laughs) crumbling. (laughs) We're both really hungry.